Hey everyone, it's Mike here, and you're listening to the Psych Mike Show. back to the psych mike show and today i know it's been a very long time very very long time since i made an episode so wanted to jump right back into things and talking today about the intersection of mental health and culture uh, today i have a special guest her name is grace and she is the host of the stitching the mind podcast so i will make sure to link that into the show notes but go ahead and give her a listen and grace just introduce yourself to everyone where you're from kind of your interests in world cultures and different things like that. Okay, so hi everyone. My name is Grace. So I am currently living in Connecticut, but I'm from New York. Um, I'll be starting my PsyD this coming fall for clinical psychology. Um, a little bit as far as my interest, and in, I'm like very, very interested in how culture plays in a, uh, plays a role and affects um mental health and how that's viewed. Um, so I'm excited to talk a little bit more about my travel experiences. I spent the last, so from September to about end of December, um, uh, not living within the U.S. and traveling to a bunch of different countries. And I think while I was there, I really had just the focus um, of how, just sitting how mental health is different um, within every area that I visited. Um, so that's a little bit about my travel experiences and I'll definitely talk more about the different countries that really impacted me and um, you know, the kind of the, the things that I saw. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about me. Awesome. So I, like I like to do is usually start with a definition of our topic, so a definition of culture, um, the first definition listed here is the customary beliefs, social forms, and material traits of a racial, religious, or social group. Or definition like 1B would be the set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterizes an institution or organization. So basically what it means is just a big group of people that have similar traits, similar belief systems that kind of form into a whole, and people from that group believe in the same thing typically. Now, when we talk about mental health, mental health can be a culture in itself. Um, today, what we're going to talk about is how different cultures, as far as like the United States compared to the rest of the world, may view mental health. Um, because when you think about like the United States, you know, some states are more supportive, some states are lacking um, in that support. And really, it kind of just depends on the culture itself. You know, we can look at like political culture, again, rel religious cultures that may have a piece in that. Um, yeah, I don't know, Grace, what do you think about the, the differences in, in culture, at least here in the U.S., and the support of mental health? Like you said, different states, um, as well as just around the world, how 
you know, one's culture, one's religious background can mean the difference between someone seeking help from a doctor or a, a priest. Um, so it's really, I think it's, it's interesting to see all the different ways that um, one's upbringing and all of those different backgrounds can play an effect in the way that somebody um, looks and tries to receive help. So I think um, more specifically, I, I don't know, for me, I like to, um, I, I like to learn through just like really being immersed within my environment and just kind of seeing maybe the deeper meaning behind something <clears throat> that like you might see to the eye to be very like simple. So um, like I said, I, I was going to talk about um, places that have impacted me and have kind of led me along this journey to go into clinical psychology. Um, so I, I love to write, and this is something that I've tried really, really hard to write about, um, but it's kind of my, my thoughts and my perspectives of my time um, in Kenya. Has, it, it's been a lot to kind of process since I have left, but um, I think to go a little bit more into, um, I guess, the, the very first moment, so I was going to... Um, visit a mental health hospital to go kind of like tour the area um and one of the very first things that I noticed when I was walking onto the property was I saw a bunch of people on the outside of this um it was an inpatient clinic just cutting like cutting grass with machetes and um it was like something that I had seen like prior to coming to visit the mental health hospital, but it was like not until I was kind of like walking up that I really like was watching this happen. And um, I kind of like it, that image always stuck with me because it looked so like excruciatingly like painful and grueling to just be like outside all day cutting grass with like, like if you don't know what a machete is, like a large knife. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so... I just remember like that kind of sticking with me and I remember leaving the first day and thinking back to just my like the very first experience that I had walking onto the property which was that and I think um it was really interesting to kind of see what the mental health clinic looked like in Kenya in comparison to places in the U.S. and I think that um that like image of the machete always stuck with me because it kind of was a full circle moment where I was like, although, you know, like we use like lawnmowers, um, but I think, you know, how access to things can be so different, um, but it just was a reminder that like, you know, people everywhere have different access to different things. But um, despite that, everybody is kind of trying the best that they can. And that's really what I saw within the clinic when I went to Kenya. Um, so that was, I don't know, yeah, just a little story that I wanted to share because I think um, it, not without going into the detail of 
you know, the mental health, the kind of mental health practices that were set into, like, um, that they were using, I think, um, yeah, just a different kind of perspective to have, um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that perspective is really interesting. Like, as as you were talking there, it sounded exactly like kind of some of these definitions that I wanted to talk about, too. No, mental health is viewed differently in different cultures, and in order to kind of look at it that way, we have to break down two different viewpoints of how culture is viewed. So it's um, ETIC, which is E-T-I-C, which means of, relating to, or involving analysis of cultural phenomena from the perspective of one who does not participate in the culture being studied. So that would be similar to what Grace was just talking about, right? She's not from the Kenyan culture, but she's observing a culture, cultural phenomena of cutting grass with machetes from the outside looking in. Whereas EMIC or E-M-I-C is the, or the definition really, is of relating to or involving analysis of cultural phenomena from the perspective of one who participates in the culture being studied. So really that would mean if someone from Kenya was looking at, oh, this is how we cut grass here, right? So from an etic perspective of culture, we're looking at from the United States, mainly most of the United States, we're not cutting grass with machetes, right? We have different tools and access to different types of things that can help us cut our grass without having to cut it with a machete like Grace saw over in Kenya, whereas Emic. They may come over here, someone from outside that culture who has never either seen something like that or this is just a different way that they cut grass. They will look at us and like, you're lazy. Why are you sitting on your mower and, and riding it that way, right? Um, and that's where the perspective comes in. I, I think one of the big things is I wanted to talk today about is like, what, what views have you seen um, or encountered during your cultures that would, would make you think more... Um, like, wow, you know, take a step back and think about how we here in the United States may value things a lot differently than other cultures and how it may impact someone's mental health if they have, you know, a lack of access to some of these things. Yeah, I think to kind of answer that simply, I would say, like, I have, you know, I haven't fully, like, lived in any of the countries that I've like I, I have not spent like a significant amount of time mm. in different places that I've been. Like I, I mean, I fully live within the U.S., but um, I think seeing how two things. I think there's more similarities um, than we kind of think uh, if you look beyond the surface to how mental health is viewed. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also differences too, and I think. You know, I think there's so much beauty to, like, all of those differences and all of those similarities. And I think, you know, as a whole, I guess the biggest theme that I've noticed is, like, going back to that story is everybody is, you know, doing the best that they can with the information that they have. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think as I continue to, like, educate myself and see all these different, like, read research, see different views, see different perspectives... I think um, it helps, like, it just teaches me, you know, there's so much more to learn, 
um, and share with the world. And I think one other story that I wanted to bring up, which is more, you know, within the U.S., but mm-hmm. takes place a long, long time ago. So there's this book that um, I recently just finished, and it's called Nobody's Normal um, by Roy Richard Brinker. And he basically is talking about how the cultures around the world create the stigma of mental um, mental illnesses. And he mentions the story specifically um, that takes place so like two and a half centuries ago on um, on Martha's Vineyards and um, basically to kind of like I'm going to read a little bit about kind of the summary of the chapter but um, he writes about how English settlers rarely left the island and how a lot of the people living there married each other due to like the inbreeding um, that occurred there was a genetic disorder that emerged so by the 1980s almost a quarter of the residents in some villages had some degree of, of hereditary deafness but the deaf partially but but the deaf the partially deaf and the hearing devise their own sign language so that they could communicate with the people around them and with no other population to compare themselves to they assume that deafness is an ordinary part of human variation so um like it became so common that descendants of the settlers had trouble recalling who was in their who in their family was deaf and who was not um, because everybody you know used and uh, communicated in sign language. So I think um, it was really interesting because during this time, like Martha's Vineyard is an island, right? Mm-hmm. So like outside of the island, I remember reading about how. Um, like, you know, being deaf was perceived as a deficit and how deaf children were taught separately. Doctors discouraged deaf people from marrying um, to, like, have, like, um, discouraged them from having children. But um, on, Martha, on Martha's Vineyard, since there weren't uh, distinguished groups of people who could, uh, who could not hear and who, like, who could not hear, they were never classified as deaf. So um, something that I just wanted to read towards the end of kind of the story, mm-hmm. the beauty the invention of their sign language was that the islanders developed a cultural adaptation to a physical condition. They provided one of the best examples of how culture and not nature produces and defines what is considered normal and abnormal. So I think like my biggest takeaway from just that story and the different kind of things that I've seen is how you know it's important that like we don't like stigmatize um, or, or see things as a disability because um, the way that we were raised or the way that we were taught to to be um, and yeah like he said stigma isn't in our biology it's in our culture and it's a process we learn from within cultures that, um, and, and ultimately we can kind of change what we teach and we can change what, how, how we, um, decide to view different biases and our perceptions. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a a really interesting story because, you know, if you break that down and you really think about, you know, a whole community that only, interacts in sign language 
and someone were to come from, let's say, from a etic cultural perspective from the outside looking in, they come to Martha Vineyard and they're like, why are none of these people speaking? Even though some of them were uh, hearing and some of them were deaf, you know, everyone speaks in sign language on the island. And from the, the Martha's Vineyard culture looking at this visitor, they would be the one with the deficit. Like, oh, you don't know how to speak sign language. Something must be wrong with you, right? There's that. But only with the, the I guess, the majority population when you're thinking about like stigmas being created, when a majority believes a certain thing and a majority of a culture believes certainly that deafness is a deficit versus it's just a different way of living life, that's where the stigma starts to come in. And then you just kind of spread that until, like you talked about, where he's talking about like it, stigma isn't in our biology, it's in our culture, until you're able to like reduce that stigma and say like, no, being deaf is not a deficit. Being deaf is just another way to live life, and there's different ways to communicate. You know, it's it's gonna lessen a stigma of being deaf, and I think that's a really really good point because when we talk about mental health, it's the same way. You know, we have a lot of support coming out now that it's okay to not be okay, right? Anxiety, depression, different things that people deal with on a more normalized basis. I think it's being more promoted and awesome that people are supporting mental health difficulties are okay to have and being able to speak up about that which makes our job a little easier right because we don't have to go searching out and selling ourselves to say like this is what we do this is what we can help you with there's more people i guess seeking out that help what do you think about that yeah i think it's so interesting i mean i'm not like super into studying the history of things but um I think just like having my background like educational background of psychology I think it's so interesting how you know stigmas always vary like you learn this like in psych 101 how it varies according to time and place and how just stigma ebbs and flows as a result of like different conditionings that we have as humans so I think um I don't know there's so much to unpack with just you know like you said we are progressing and like since you know like since that that story that i mentioned mm-hmm. two and a half centuries ago with the island um but i think you know there's i think there's a lot to learn from all of those things that have happened when it comes to mental health um that teach us a lot now that I think remind us of different ways that we could pro- we we can progress. So another story that I wanted to mention um, is basically the story of how Dorothy kind of became um, a medication. Which wait, correct me if I'm wrong. It's I forgot that I think it's called chlor the the it's marketed as Thorazine, but it's called chlor chlor chlor. I don't know how to say it, Cor. I don't know. But basically, it's a medication um, to help treat schizophrenia. So um, how that became about um, was, <laughs> it's a very, very long story, but there was um, a wealthier family who lived in this kind of tiny neighborhood that was going to soon have a kid. And um, 
the so okay the the child who was born his name is Harry and um, the next door neighbor of that kid his name I don't know how to say his name but we'll just say it was Richard <laughs> um, basically there was rumored that Richard had thrown a knife at his mom um, so when Harry was born the father who had some connections with the police called and said like um, this this man needs to be checked out so when the police came they um, they did a psychiatric evaluation and decided like he's a danger to the community shipped him away um, and years later Harry grew up and um, wanted to become a psychiatrist and he started working within the hospital that Richard was sent but they I don't think for a while that they knew each other or knew the history behind everything um, but eventually it kind of all came together and Harry realized that um, Richard was that like quote-unquote like crazy neighbor um, and uh, he kind of found out a little bit more about his background and his time within the hospital and had learned that every body every bone in his body was broken mm. and he was just tortured and abused and um something that he says is like it was all like th this um this guy had rotted in this place for almost 20 years just because like he was born and his family was afraid of somebody who had a diagnosis of schizophrenia so basically it inspires him to create that medication um that it helps treat schizophrenia now, um, Thorazine. And I think, like, to kind of explain why I brought this story up, and just, I think it shows a lot about, you know, the progression of the way that we view things, the way that things have been viewed in the past, and how there's still, there's slight similarities to that kind of story that we can kind of see, especially, um, I was reading this other book that um, when somebody hears maybe that like your brother or your dad or your mom has schizophrenia, they're all just like, oh my gosh, wow, like, wow, that must be like a lot, whatever. And that's kind of the perception, like similar to what that father, the, the fear that the father had when his child was going to be born that like, oh, he is a danger to the community. We kind of still see that now. Um, it's like I think beautiful to know that there has been progressions um, and a lot to do like thankfully because of that the medications that have developed um, since then but I think um, yeah because I think the when I was reading about the story I think it was 1955 when that medication became available to patients within that hospital um, where they kind of trialed it and that had led to a lot of people leaving the hospital and I think it's just you know all around a very interesting story about you know how how sometimes the worst stories can create the like most significant changes mm -hmm. um yeah yeah and you're talking about Thorazine which it's been replaced now uh, because of the severe side effects. Uh, so now the use of the antipsychotic haloperidol or brand name Haldol is replaced Thorazine, which medical term Grace was trying to say it's uh, 
chlorpromazine. Um, so they're both, they were both utilized to treat antipsychotics, but Haldol is now the replacement for that um, okay. because of the severe side effects that people had from the Thorazine. But yeah, it's it, like you said, sometimes beautiful things come from these very sad stories. And I think it's inspiring to hear that somebody who decided, you know what, I'm going to just take this into my own hands versus let's just continue to do things the way that things have always been done. Um, because, you know, who wants to go out on a limb and try to, to change the world and things like that? You know, it takes a lot of brave individuals to reach out and say like, no, this is, this is not right. There's something that can be done. Um, I don't know what it may be, but let's, let's work on trying to figure that out versus things have always been done this way. You know, if that had never happened, we may still be in an age, you know, you're talking 1950. That's not very long ago when you think about it in terms of like cultural shifts and science and things like that, how fast the age of science has advanced things. It's not that very long ago that they were still just sending people away to mental hospitals, kind of closing, um, that gap or, or widening that gap between society and individuals with mental health kind of um, issues. You know, now we see um, commercials, you know, advertising different types of medications that are helping for mental health uh, difficulties. Anyone that has any sort of um, either like psychotic disorder, um, different things like that, mood disorders, there's <laughs> commercials on TV. Go ahead and call this number up. You know, even those commercials for like hims and hers, they have, you know, the, the talk about, you know, if you're dealing with anxiety or depression, we have medication that we can prescribe to you. You just call it up. You know, I think that's a, a really good thing that we're seeing here. And I think that is becoming less stigmatized of talking about mental health and, and being more involved there. And I hope, you know, culture is influencing that. Um, and itself that the culture of mental health is making it more normalized and rather than stigmatized like we talked about earlier. Yes. Yeah. Um, I wanted to get into, you know, next kind of a little bit about, I guess we kind of talked about it already, you know, how, how the culture can create stigmas for mental health. That's what I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah. Cultures can create stigmas against mental health if, that culture is not understood. If we're coming from an etic perspective and not being open to these different new age experiences, um, one of the things that I thought about was like uh, magical thinking that is in a lot of cultures outside of the United States. Um, and then like a lot of Latin cultures and African cultures, when you're talking about like um, beliefs in like witches and voodoos and demons and things like that, if you're coming from within that culture and you're talking about, yes, my grandfather sees demons at night and you know, these are the spirits they talk about, you know, that's normalized, right? But if you're coming from a, a etic perspective from the outside, you hear somebody talking about they see demons and ghosts and things like that. And that is like red flag, something's going on here, right? What do you think about that? I guess, wait, rephrase your question again. So, so you're asking... Like, just the magical thinking when we're talking about how cultures can create stigma. Like, if you're coming from outside of a culture, it could be easy to stigmatize another culture because you're not a part of it. So I was just using that idea of magical thinking as an example. You know, cultures that believe in uh, either voodoo, possession, ghosts, things like that. You say, I'm possessed by a demon. 
you know, how is that going to come off to somebody who's grown up in the United States and working in a, in a psych hospital? You know, how is yeah. that going to come off to them? I think it has, at least in my opinion, I think everybody might have a different answer to this, but I think it has so much to do with um, the way that we are raised and kind of the environment or mm-hmm. the things that are told to us over and over again. Yeah. Uh, I think something, going back to just the time that I spent in Kenya, it was so interesting to see the size of like the mental health clinic um, that had about, at the, at the time I was there, I think it had 120 um, inpatient um, individuals, and it could not, like, it, the max capacity was supposed to be about 80, mm. um, so very, like, very small building, you mm-hmm. know, to only be able to house 90 people, and then down the road from that was this, like, maybe double the size Um basically a psycho spiritual kind of um i wouldn't say like another mental health clinic it was just kind of like a clinic for um i don't know how to like i don't know the word for it but it was basically run by a priest and it was kind of like a mix between i would say like hospital therapy and going to like a church and you know Mm. uh, confiding in a priest or a pastor or whatever mm-hmm. um so i think like i think religion plays such a big role in kind of that view that you had mentioned where um you know like people being like possessed by witches or um anything you know not quite realistic mm-hmm. um so i think yeah, I think the biggest thing is just, you know, the conditioning of maybe what family, friends, like people within our inner circle are telling us that they believe because I think we're so much more influenced um, by the people around me, around us than we ever want to think or believe. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what kind of causes that stigma and those, like the differences in beliefs. Um, and I think, you know, ultimately, like, if if you, you know, as, like, a therapist, if you work and you hope to change, like, the life, like, that your goal is to change the life of one person, I think you're really changing so much, so many more. You're, t- in a way, you're indirecting, indirectly helping so many other people because, like I said, that influence and that way that we can, I mean, like, like I've kind of shared with these stories, the way that, um, you know, groups, communities can kind of influence and change different kind of stigmas. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think it's very important that we understand and think outside the box, especially us as future clinicians is, you know, we need to be able to understand and do that perspective taking. You know, it's it's easy to, I think it's more acceptable if a thought is coming from a religious belief. You know, we are more inclined to be open to accepting the beliefs that people are either religious figures or see religious figures because of a, a wide base of history and, again, culture that has captivated that large audience for thousands of years. Um, but, you know, 
what's less studied is like the that that again that magical thinking of the the demon possession which is uh voodoo practices things like that that are customary to a lot of different countries it's not highly backed or supported so again there's that stigma because it's something different than what the vast majority of people practice as far as religious yeah yeah Yeah. and i think it's it's so hard to change a a view or a belief that somebody has had ingrained within them for generations Mm -hmm. but i think if you know the more that you learn about history the like the history of um you know, like if you think about the history of mental health, I think that is how you work to change those beliefs that no, like if somebody um, like is having, is experiencing some kind of mental illnesses, it's not, it's not because, you know, they're like possessed by the devil or, you know, anything like that. I think, um, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not their character. It's, you know, it's their mental health. Um, and yeah, I think, I don't know kind of what I was going to say off of that. I was just rambling a little bit, but I think, um, (laughs) like, I think the challenge, like it's, I think the challenge is to, you know, learn from the past and learn from different societies and communities outside of our own, because I think just learning about them, helps to shift the perspective that you have and you know it teaches you that our culture can like more than we might think can reduce you know the stigma or the fear of stigma um and I think you know when I think of just like that the title of the book that I mentioned um about like you know nobody's normal I think um an interesting point that he makes over and over again is that if culture put stigma and mental illnesses together and, you know, creates those beliefs, like you said, um, of different, you know, what did you say? Like voodoo practice, like mm-hmm. that kind of, um, anything like that. I think, you know, if it can create that belief, it also has the power to like begin to slowly over time, take them apart and shift that, shift that belief that's no longer serving, um, the people within that culture yeah i think that's a a great note to to close on and you know i hope everyone enjoyed this episode and really just kind of really scratching the surface on mental health and how culture can really impact views on mental health you know i always like to end episodes with a call to action so you know from listening to this want you to review your cultural beliefs and see how they may impact how you view the world you know, do your cultural views align with your moral values and personal beliefs? If not, where's the disconnect and how can you get things to be back on track? I want to thank Grace for joining us today. Shout out to Stitching the Mind podcast. And Grace, what are your next steps? What what do you got going on in the future for yourself? So um, when I was um, abroad in it was around November I had met a psychologist who um uh she actually is from like Long Island which is pretty close to where I live now and I stayed in contact with her um and I think my next steps besides just starting grad school is going back to some of the countries that I went to so 
Um, I think the ones that I know for sure I'd be going back to would be Kenya, Jordan, Dubai, um, and I feel like there was one more, India. Um, and basically doing some kind of service learning where um, we're kind of taking a deeper look at the um, international DSM and um, the ICD, sorry, and kind of working to create, um, I think it's so important to like have a diagnosis for somebody, Mm -hmm. but unless you can kind of create like a set, standard set of like ways to um, like address whatever that diagnosis is, practices that can, you know, really help somebody. I think sometimes, like, if you don't have that, there's, like, what is the point of having a diagnosis besides just, like, you know, maybe making somebody feel a little bit bad about themselves? So we're basically going into these countries and um, studying how that, like, there's so much more to learn that I mentioned, just how um, mental health can, uh, or how mental health is viewed differently across cultures. Mm -hmm. So we'll be studying that. And also just sharing different kind of um, therapy practices that um, can help some of these mental health clinics um, and patient outpatient hospitals and things like that. So that is kind of what's next for me. Um, And yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Hopefully everything in your future goes as planned. Um, Yeah. And thanks everyone for listening today. Uh, take care and don't forget to live. Can you hear me? Life is real, yeah. And if there's a heaven above, please start showing a brother real love. Cause I wanna go home.